This is Monocle on Design, a show where we unpack everything from architecture and craft to furniture and fashion. I'm Nick Manise. On today's show, we reflect on this year's edition of the London Design Festival. We meet Poor Collective, one of the winners of the festival's design medal, and enter the bright world of artist and designer Morag Myersgoff. Plus, we stop by Singapore for this year's edition of Find Design Fair Asia. All that coming up on Monocle on Design. Hello and welcome to today's program. Now, what you can hear in the background are the tones of the organ at St Paul's Cathedral, home to one of the many installations as part of this year's London Design Festival, which I visited last week. And so did this show's producer, Maylee Evans, who is not in the studio with me, but kind of also in the studio with me. She's <laughs> behind the glass of the control booth where I am normally told to retake uh, the scripts uh, and, and and very gently coached on, on, on the show. It makes it sound like we're holding you captive in a glass cage, which... <laughs> if people know me, that's pretty accurate for something that I might enjoy. Um, my whole life is a performance, but this show isn't. This show is about design, and we want to talk a little bit about the London Design Festival. This was the first event that I think we both uh, uh, saw each other at. In fact, it was the only event we saw each other at because we kind of split up and, and, and covered London. But maybe actually a nice way to do this is to have you take us through uh, Aura, the installation in St Paul's Cathedral. Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, so it's a live installation um, and it's still on at the moment at St Paul's Cathedral. So this is coming from the France-based Spanish artist Pablo Valbuena. And it's just, I think, a really beautiful way um, of, of bringing a space that maybe a lot of people, unless unless you're a tourist, maybe visiting London for the first time, you're not really going to go in um, and encounter. So for me personally, as a, a Londoner, having maybe last been at St Paul's when I was a, a child, maybe on a school trip. It was really interesting actually going into into the cathedral, seeing the dome and also just seeing it in a slightly different way. So the way the installation works is it takes the sounds from the space and sort of makes them visual through a sort of a, a light. And this is sort of ebbing and flowing with the activity happening. When we were there, you've got the organ playing, so you're getting all of that dynamic um, sound being registered in, in, in a very striking way. For me, what, what stood out was seeing all the, the gold paint flickering um, in response um, in the dome, and I just thought, wow, this is... This is electrifying, so I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. How about you, Nick? I mean, I think, so it was essentially a suspended light beneath the dome that, I guess, yeah, responded to the noise, as you said. And for me, I mean, that maybe in itself doesn't sound that enticing yeah like like i think sometimes you hear light installation and you're like ah you know i've I've seen this before but what made it actually so powerful and so effective was that the light encouraged you to stop and to pause and actually it wasn't necessarily looking at what valbuena had done with the light but looking at how that light played off the existing architecture like you said so what what i found is you know, I guess a, a newfound appreciation for the building and just a chance to really soak up the, the power of that structure. What it gave me was just, I guess, a, a renewed appreciation and, and respect for the building. And I think that really is is the purpose of, of an event like London Design Festival with these bespoke commissions where they, they essentially bring designers and, and creatives onto the streets of the city and in, into places that are, are a little bit unexpected. 
Just remind me again when this is on until. I know you mentioned it previously. Yes, so this is running until the 29th of October. So definitely check it out if you are in town. Um, now, Nick, you, you're staying in the centre of town. You, you headed over to the Strand. Old Witch, what was going on there? So I was there for another of the bespoke commissions uh, by the London Design Festival. It was called Spirit of Place. Uh, and it's a, it's a series of five, or it was a series of five colourful sculptures that the designer Simone Brewster made with the Portuguese court company Amarim. And essentially what they did was they they heated uh, cork uh, to form a block bound together by the natural resins within the actual cork itself. Uh, so I guess it's a toxic-free material. You don't need any glue. They then carved the blocks to, to shape and, and colour them. And they, these towering structures sort of two to three metres high. For one, it was a, a beautiful installation that really enhanced the part of the strand that has been newly pedestrianised. So it's a, it's a really civic place, but perhaps lacks a little bit of the punchiness or excitement uh, that you might hope in that part of the city. And and, and this is what those, those sculptures did to it. I, you know, you, you saw people kind of wandering up to them, touching them, uh, often quite curious about the material. It almost looks a little bit like a soft fall, but firmer. It's kind of got a, a texture that, you, you know, you can see that it's actually made up of like all these fine little components. And I don't think you necessarily realise that it's cork. And that's kind of the beauty of this. It's about exploring and, and appreciating what cork can be. I caught up with Simone on the Strand, uh, who will give a a little bit more insight, I guess, into her process to making these beautiful, beautiful installations called Spirit of Place. Everyone thinks it's concrete, and yesterday was hilarious because when we were installing, they must have thought the men were really strong because they were lifting these slabs of concrete in their mind and just easily putting them down. But yeah, a lot of people came up and was like, how are you doing that? And then they touched and go, oh, what is this? Um, but that, in a way, is one of the major points of this project. I want people to touch it and to ask that question and learn about the material. Um, the, the cork that was used here is a cork composite, which is basically all of the chips um, that didn't that get chipped up, the pieces that didn't get made to use, cork stoppers or larger products. They make it into these kind of small granules that they then heat and it releases a natural resin that, when cooled, forms it to set so they don't add any glues and um, then they can machine that as a block so these are basically blocks of cork that have been carved into the shape that I've designed and then reassembled and the um, colourway and the, the full kind of impact that all of these different ingredients have come together to make. As a designer yourself what what has this process or, you know, or working on this project taught you about cork as a material and, and where do you see it being used in your, your work in the future? It's kind of embarrassing now because I sound like I'm an ambassador for, for cork and for Amarina because I just talk about how blown away I was when I heard just how beneficial it was for the environment but also how we don't understand it enough. We had a, a quite a large fire in London, the Grenfell Tower, and if we had used this as one of the cladding materials, we wouldn't have had that fire because it doesn't burn. It's used on the, the nose of, of um, spaceships with NASA. It's like, when you hear that, you go, this actually has real-life implications and impacts. We should be using it a lot more in architecture, um, and we need to start thinking about it much more broadly. Um, and it's surprising to me that we don't know these things. You know, I didn't know that and I studied architecture. And, and when we were discussing this with the engineer, one of the things they said is, oh, we have to be careful for, for the, for because, you know, people could burn it. It's like, no, 
actually it's fire retardant and depending on how it's it's finished it's also water resistant there's a lot that we need to learn about this material and one of the big intentions behind the project for me was to make something beautiful so that people will ask questions and in asking questions find out about you know how they can be engaging with this material more and the potential of it for further applications that was simone brewster we'll be right back after this Become a Monocle Magazine subscriber today and enjoy 10% off any annual subscription. It's time to get a truly global view that's upbeat and optimistic. Monocle has plenty more in store for 2023 that will keep you informed, entertained, and, of course, ahead of the game. With a global roster of correspondents and bureau, we deliver stories that you won't find elsewhere. Expect insights on everything from diplomacy and design to art and architecture and more. Sign up today and you'll receive 10 issues and seasonal specials full of inspiration. Visit monocle.com slash subscribe and enter the code radio 10 to redeem this offer. We're back but we pause our London Design Festival coverage for a dispatch from Singapore, where Monocle's Naomi Zhu Elegant has been visiting exhibition halls in the city to speak to leading designers at one of the region's biggest trade events. The second edition of Fine Design Fair Asia took place in Singapore over the weekend. Hundreds of designers and brands gathered at the Marina Bay Sands Convention Centre to talk furniture, interiors and design. One highlight of the fair is its Emerge series, which spotlights up-and-coming Southeast Asian designers, including Melvin Ong, who founded the Singapore-based studio Desenaire. I talked to Melvin at the fair and asked him what he's working on right now. I think the recent work would be the one that I'm showing here right now. This one is a bit different because um, I'm trying to incorporate a bit of creative technology in this. It's basically a light that doesn't want to behave how it ought to behave. (laughs) So it was more of a hypothesis of, I think we tend to kind of express certain uh, feelings or towards objects. So like like how uh, a car is almost uh, referred to as almost like an entity rather than an object. So I was wondering like, you know, what if objects that we express like personal, we kind of like impress of this kind of soul in, in the object react and and behave like people. So I was thinking like, what if a ceiling light has a fear of heights? Then how would that behave then? So I think it was that kind of questioning that got me thinking that maybe that could bring me to a place where the classification of lighting could be a bit blurred and it could like uncover something different. So the light that I have now, it's it's kind of like a ceiling light. Um, So when it's up uh, suspended high, um, it doesn't turn on. It's only when you lower it, then it starts to go brighter and brighter. Yeah. So I think the idea is like uh, when it's closer to um, the ground or closer to people, then it starts to warm up. Next, I spoke to V Hoku, the founder of Dad's Woods, which makes bespoke wooden furniture from locally sourced timber in Malaysia. I think Malaysia especially has a, a lot of uh, very good quality timbers, where a lot is, of its value was uh, overlooked for the past decades. So uh, for me, it's like about reviving the importance and the value that uh, these timbers one has. 
How would you describe the timber? What are the characteristics? What does it look like? Hmm. Uh, they are all very dark and deep in color. Um, they are all very hard timbers, uh, as of most uh, tropical wood. Um, and we work with uh, wood that has uh, a density of uh, thick and above. So like thick wood, uh, Murabao, Chang'ao, uh, all these timbers that was uh, once very popular uh, in construction from pre-colonial and during the colonial period. The collection that we are displaying this time is from uh, the Tales of Mandalay collection. It's a collection that uh, we launched uh, in September. Um, and it's a Burmese theme collection uh, that centers around like uh, Burmese inspired design. And we work with a material called Merbao, which is a Malaysian hardwood that, is, uh, that has like a deep red orangey uh, color. I also met renowned Filipino industrial designer Kenneth Kubumpoy and asked him about his distinctive furniture designs. My design is uh, it's uh, all handmade and they're inspired by nature, travels, they're all very um, organic and whimsical, I would say. When they see my product, people recognize it, I think, right away. It's quite a distinctive yeah, style. There's a, it's very distinctive, it's always um, playful. Can you talk about some of the pieces that you've brought with you to the fair? So we're launching a new chair made out of woven carbon fiber called Spin. And it's inspired by those spirograph um, drawings, you know, you did as a kid. And it's a very light chair in terms of weight. And it's made for indoor and outdoor. And then we brought a few of our classics, like the Dragnet chair, the Yoda, which people all know, the Bloom. How much yeah. do you have to think about materials when you're designing? Actually, we always start with the materials. Yeah, it's a material or a weave, you know, or a certain, um, sometimes the silhouette, you know, and then we see what, uh, which materials to choose that best reflect the original inspiration and aesthetic. With the indoor-outdoor furniture, what kind of considerations are there where it has to work in both settings? Yeah, so <laughs> the problem with most outdoor furniture is they're made of, uh, it's always plastic, it's always artificial, and people don't like to have those things indoor. So the challenge is to make them very homey, sustainable. So now in the past few years, there's a trend to put you know, this indoor look outside, and I think that's a challenge for designers. How do you characterize the design scene in the Philippines? In the Philippines, there are, well, there's there's a love now for things that are local, and people are appreciating, you know, um, homegrown design, whether it be in fashion or, or furniture, interiors, and I think you see that in, in Asia too. There's the growing love for natural furniture, so I always say uh, sustainability, of course, is very important, but I think manufacturers in Southeast Asia were sustainable even before they knew what the word meant. Because everything here is made, is handmade, natural materials, you know, there's no plastic that came from the West. My thanks to Naomi Zuelegant for that report. Back to London Design Festival now, and Maylie Evans, where are we going next? 
So we're going to head over to the Brompton Design District, uh, which is where I set my sights. We started off in Cromwell Place, an uh, exhibition and working space for galleries, which is fast becoming a staple for me when it comes to design events in London. I think it's just got a really interesting curation of smaller galleries um, and, and designers. So there, what, what struck my interest was the New Craftsman, which is a platform that curates and commissions contemporary collections. So this is looking at old craft techniques that are in danger and sort of reviving them and giving them a new spin so they appeal to contemporary audiences and they don't feel like heritage pieces that should be in a museum. So that was one thing that I thought was really cool. But another exhibition that caught my attention in the district was from the Collective Power Out of Restriction, also known as the Poor Collective. They're also the winners of this year's Emerging Design Medal, so I feel very lucky that I managed to bump into one of them for this conversation. That's a great pick by you. I just I feel like you deserve a pat on the back for that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what really struck me is how their approach to design for me feels very refreshing I mean the idea of just having a medal it's being awarded to a singular voice but this is a collective it's four co-founders who are really trying to break down that idea of hierarchy and to sort of allow more people to be involved in the design process or, or to think about the built environment the Paul Collective often engage with young people from disadvantaged backgrounds with architecture and design projects. One project I read about, which I really enjoyed, was that they got involved with secondary school, high school, young people, and um, sort of, you know, discussing, right, if we want to make an installation, where should we have it in our local area? And all the kids turned around and went, actually, we want it in the centre of London because we want more people to see it. And it's just things like that, which maybe, you know, you hear about all these design projects and maybe it's a bit cosmetic, it's a bit artificial, the engagement. But I think this is a collective where they're very sort of happy to raise their hands and go, yeah, actually, yeah, let's try that. Let's do that instead um, and are able to sort of manoeuvre and, and make that happen. So without further ado, I caught up with one of the co-founders. Uh, this is the architect, Larry Botchway. Port is a socially focused and practised that focus on the development of communities through the elevation of young people. So the main idea is just thinking about who gets the opportunity to be a designer and trying to find opportunities wherever they are. The exhibition is a group exhibition that, that invites various um, up-and-coming designers, artists, sculptors and so on to ultimately share a platform. The focus is all about collective work and collaboration, so the actual making of the exhibition, the actual approach to each of the designers' works and pieces, and also actually how the space has been inhabited, like with the opening and so on, has all been about collaboration, collective nature, and um, ultimately being one. So hopefully this is the beginning of many collaborations. And in the conversations I guess you're having with collaborators, with designers makers at the moment, what is the biggest challenge that they're finding right now? One big thing has been about like having adequate platforms to share the really important messages each of these designers are showing. Our focus has always been about who gets the chance. The built environment affects everyone, but not everyone gets the opportunity to actually inform it. So each of them are always thinking about different ways of basically challenging that, but then also maintaining this like authentic message we're all trying to push, which is ultimately about recognising other cultures, you know. Or more cultures. And you have just won a big old medal. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about that, about what that means for, I guess, the group and your plans, your vision going forward. It's such an honour for us. I guess it gives some form of recognition for an approach that we really believe in. And we believe that um, everyone should have the opportunity to inform the spaces that, that, they're, that they're dictated by, you know. In some ways, it gives a little bit of, I don't want to say legitimacy, because we believe, we believe in our process and we believe that it, there is, like, um, it's important to approach um, design the way we do approach design. But I think that there's, it's, it's beautiful to see that actually people believe it too, you know. So we're really hoping that 
with this, we can continue to influence larger projects through this process of like co-design and collaborative working. That was Larry Botchway of Poor Collective. So my understanding is that they curated a group exhibition. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I know it's called Power Shift, but I'm a little bit in the dark over here, mainly. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So, yeah, it was called Power Shift. And I think, again, what's interesting for me is that they're very process-driven. So, of course, there's a public-facing outcome. We're seeing this group exhibition. But I think a lot of the work is behind the scenes. It's how they're connecting all these different designers who maybe have similar ideas but maybe haven't met before. And it's about forging those connections and really helping grow a community. I think there's a lot of focus on people finding mentors and finding sponsors maybe and less focus on actually who's around me, who's coming up right now. You know, where are these connections and where can these go in future? Um, And I really um, enjoyed sort of speaking with one of the artists featured about that, Giles Tetenate. Uh, he's an architect, designer and educator and self-proclaimed reluctant artist, which I thought quite funny. Aren't we all, Maylie? <laughs> But he'd produced this beautifully carved bench um, slash daybed um, out of black stained ash wood. Um, and it also had a game sort of built into it. So I had to, actually did play a game. Of course you did. You've got yeah, to. Yeah, I've got to. Did, did you win? Absolutely not. Absolutely thrashed. I mean, it was my first game. Oware is the game. Um, if you know it, then you might recognise these sounds. But again, it's this idea of rather than it being this very sort of um, revered object that can't be touched, Giles was like, you know, sit down, enjoy it. Like, don't feel precious about it. This is something to be touched and to be enjoyed and to understand through engaging with rather than sort of admired from a distance, which is something that I can I can get behind. Let's hear from Giles now. This is titled Interplay, um, and this piece forms one of the outputs of some of the research I've been looking at over the last um, couple of months and years, which talks about West African craft rituals and West African craft objects and trying to reimagine them as a way of reimagining space, but then also reimagining the domestic. This piece brings together um, a traditional West African typology, which is a bench bed, and I embed the game Oware, which is known in Ghana, within it, basically transforming a bench into a communal piece, a place for individual repose, and also a place for play. In Ghana, we call it Oware, but you know, in Nigeria, they call it Ayo, and in so many different other countries, they call it different things, and there's so many different variants of it. A board with 12 holes, six on one person's side, and six on another person's side. Within those holes are stones, four stones in each pot to begin the game. And the whole purpose of the game is to capture as many stones as possible. The pieces I've been working on really talk about this idea of activating through performance and activating through human interaction. So it's not just a piece, an object that exists as a sort of an inanimate object, but it exists as something to be used and something to be touched and something to be played with. Um, I'm really bringing together you know, these different uses, a daybed, um, a communal bench, but and also a game, a game moment. Really what I'm trying to propose is a negotiation of space, a negotiation of different uses, that multiple people can use this at multiple different times and get a different experience from it. And tell me what it's been like being part of this exhibition, the collective spirit and, you know, installing and being part of this. It's been really amazing, mainly because of, I guess, the... The relationships and the majority of the people who have been exhibited here know Poor Collective really well and we see each other outside and we talk about the similar topics and actually we occupy a very similar space and it's all been about this idea of supporting one another and really promoting one another. So when I was asked to participate in this 
it was of course a yes just to be amongst people kind of talking about a similar topic everyone sort of friendly everyone um, supporting one another it was a really great opportunity so that was Giles Tete Nate there but I think for our final stop Nick where are we heading? We're going to the Shoreditch Electric Light Station, uh, which is an exhibition space where the iconic British car brand Mini, I mean, you know them, you love them, we see them everywhere. They've commissioned Morag Myerskoff uh, to turn its brand value called Big Love into a physical form. Now, that does sound very abstract. Uh, how do you turn, like, a, a, I guess, a, an idea around love and, and community into a physical space? Enter Morag, the artist and designer, applied her vibrant colour palette to build a set uh, that, I guess, it, it showcased the new electric vehicles uh, alongside little amphitheatres, planter boxes, screens showing short films on, on the production uh, of the car itself and how it links to, or sustainable transport links to healthy environments. Um but I think it's best that we actually throw to the people behind the installation to explain it. So to find out more, I did catch Morag and Oliver Heilmer, who's head of mini design, and they, uh, I guess, explained the partnership and their hopes and and ambitions for their collaboration. I was asked uh, to work on some projects for Mini in Munich, and then when they... and. When I had this uh, conversation, I just was so inspired by the new car. And I really, really, I've been into electric cars for over 20 years. And I've always had this vision of how cities can change by it being completely electric. So when this moment happened, it just sparked everything off for me. And I just wanted to get out there this vision of, of how a city could change. And, and based on, on the mini car. I mean, Oliver, that's probably a, a, a nice jumping off, off point for you. Tell me a, l- a little bit about big love and, and that. Is a theme the right word at mini or set of values? What, what does that mean to the work that you're doing and, and how does it feed into this installation here? So when we started with the new generation, we, we had this kind of, we were talking about the creative mindset and one of these values, four values, was heartbeat, which is the, and it's a heart. So it's the emotional connection to each other, but maybe as well the connection that a customer has to his or her car, Mini specifically. Love is a part of the brand, you know. It was just crystal clear for us that this could be like a fantastic campaign for the new generation. And, and that's what you've come in and, and built upon, Morag. How, how have you represented that here in a, in a physical installation? And, I mean, you laugh before because you have love as a, as, a, as a necklace on as well. But how does, how does love, I guess, manifest itself in, in the work that you've done here? Because I work a lot with communities and about belonging. And so it's with Mini, the big love is about people sharing and being part of something. And in the installation here, it's about sort of showing how there's a chapter I call it the chapel, but it's like that's a community space and then there's a living space and then there's re-looking at big monuments and stuff. So it's also about engaging the people who are going to visit on what they think the future, you know, what do they want their cities to look like? You know, we're proposing some possibilities of change, but I think it's down to what actually people want and can we all make change together as well? So it's not waiting for somebody up there to do it. It's actually for all of us to do it together. My thanks to Morag Myers-Goff and Oliver Heilmer. I mean, May Lee, you said it sort of earlier on, you're a local, this is your hometown. What's your big takeaway from this year's London Design Festival? I think it's its, its 21st iteration, so it's, it's been running for quite some time. 
I think for me, it's an opportunity to go to parts of town that you wouldn't usually. Brompton is not on my radar, I'll be honest. Um, I might visit a couple of museums, but to actually be in the neighbourhoods, strolling down some of the high streets, this has given me an opportunity to do that. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's just a really great way, even if you're not from here, to see perhaps known parts of the city uh, through an unknown lens. I, I mean, I think for me, my big reflection on this week is just, I guess, the power of the local scene. I, I, And not even in terms of like the local designers based here, but it, but London's ability to, I guess, pull people in and be a sort of melting pot and a connection point, even if it is only for a week. I, I, I sort of wrapped my London Design Festival at the London Design Fair, which is a, a spin-off trade fair uh, showcasing emerging designers from across the globe. They had a focus section on, on Romania and Ukrainian designers alongside uh, a host of different people from across the UK. And I, I sort of met a few of them and actually a few of them are going to feature in our November issue of the magazine. Now, I know that's a little while away, but just something to keep an eye out for. And you might hear more about that further down the line. But uh, that's all we've got time for on today's show. For more design stories, listen to our five minute midweek bonus show, Monocle on Design Extra, which airs on Thursdays. And if you enjoy print, then do pick up a copy of Monocle magazine as well. It's on all good newsstands now. Today's episode was produced and co-hosted by Maylee Evans, uh, and Maylee also edited the show with help from Steph Chungu and Sammy Sweesey. I'm Nick Manise, and you can reach me on nm at monocle.com. Thanks for listening. Listener.